Hi, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a wide range of rock and metal topics. For the casual listener, I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and with me, as always, is my brother and metalhead, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? All right, Andrew, what are we talking about today? Today, we will be talking about Headbangers Ball. All right, get into it. Another strawberry seltzer. Oh, I'm, I'm having another uh, Michelob Ultra. I gotta uh, stop admitting that. <laughs> we got three weeks in a row. Uh, all right, that the uh, Headbangers Ball. What is that? So Headbangers Ball was a MTV program featuring heavy metal music videos and live interviews with, with different bands, uh, like hard rock heavy metal bands. It was on the okay. air for about eight years in the late '80s to mid '90s. Something I found out while I was researching this is that it actually started out with a show called Heavy Metal Mania a couple of years earlier. Also on MTV. So on MTV as well. And uh, what I was used to growing up was a program on Much Music in Canada called Loud. So basically the same idea as Loud was, except the uh, MTV version. So in this case, MTV copied Much Music. No, no. Headbangers uh, Wall was on first. Loud came after. Oh, Loud came after. Yeah, yeah. It's just that I, that's what I watched because Headbangers Ball was slightly before my time because the, the initial Headbangers Ball uh, ended in 1995, so I would have been like, what, 12, 13 years old. But uh, Headbangers Ball was kind of the, the, the big thing back in the, the 80s and 90s for, for heavy metal music videos. Right. Good old Canadian knockoff. Nothing wrong with that. Well, so I figured we'd start out with a history of uh, Heavy Metal Mania, which was the precursor to Headbangers Ball. Right. Okay. So... And, and I mean, the, the importance of Headbangers Ball, I don't want to understate it because back in the 80s, MTV was huge, right? Like people nowadays, like kids nowadays probably don't understand how big MTV was in music videos at the time. And at one point, heavy metal was actually mainstream back in the mid-late 80s. So, so but, yeah, uh, that's, that's something that uh, I didn't really experience firsthand because I was born in 1997. So it was yeah. we're kind of fight, fading out of the mainstream. But I remember a news radio that show with Dave Foley. Uh, and yeah, Phil and Joe Rogan. yeah, and Joe Rogan, and they had uh, this cameo by by Pantera at one point. Oh, really? That's yeah, so yeah. <laughs> where she calls where she calls them Pantera because she doesn't know who they are. But oh my they god! Were, they were in news radio, which was kind of crazy. I'm definitely gonna check that out after. Uh, <laughs> so Heavy Metal Mania, it kind of came out of back in the '80s. There was like the PMRC had that Filthy 15, and there was that war against you know what you know Christian America, Tipper Gore, they deemed offensive. Right, that was and, with uh, uh, that was against like uh, Twisted Sister and that, those kind of guys, right? Well, they, one of their songs was uh, "We're Not Gonna Take It." Was one of the songs that was in that list, the Filthy mm-hmm. Fifteen. Well, we'll actually do an episode on the Filthy Fifteen at some point. Right, right. But uh, at the time, Dee Snider was kind of in the spotlight because he was one of the guys who came up and and spoke in the hearings. Yeah, he's really good. Like he he presented a really good case for the the side opposing the PMRC, and so so he had some some star power at the time. So he, he was the first host of Heavy Metal Mania. So uh, some months later after this uh, PMRC, the hearings and stuff, the MTV CEO, Bob Pittman, he had announced that MTV was going to focus less on metal. And he said they want to play music that's on the cutting edge. And he referred to metal as a quick, crass, easy buck for record companies. So uh, <laughs> Yes, that's, that definitely holds firm today. What a, that does, doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, well, even at the time, I mean, he changed his tune pretty quick. So... Uh, and ironically, this uh, Bob Pittman guy, uh, by 1998, this is like a little bit after, but uh, he and another guy started a 24-hour heavy metal radio network called Radio Lisa. 
because Pittman would say metal had real appeal and deserves its own format. <laughs> so he uh, did a, <laughs> he did an about turn a few years later. Huh, I see. Yeah, a couple other things leading up to Heavy Metal Mania. So uh, music video director Marty Colner, he directed uh, We're Not Gonna Take It and I Wanna Rock for Twisted Sister. He told Dee Snyder that MTV had decided to cut down on metal videos and Snyder knew that metal had like a rabid loyal following and he told Marty to get MTV to get him a show. And uh, this guy named Steve Casey, he was an executive at MTV, came up with the idea for Heavy Metal Mania with Dee Snyder as the host. All right. So the show ran for about a year from 1985 to 1986, starting out weekly on Thursday nights, and then it moved to a monthly format in 1986. So I've read some different sources. Uh, some say it was an hour block, but the episode that I was actually able to find online was closer to an hour and a half. So I'm not sure if it fluctuated or, or what. It's a big chunk of time to, to dedicate to that. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to remember that they're showing music videos, plus they're doing interviews, and there's like, Contest uh, yeah, I guess I guess it's sort of like a, almost a variety show then. Yeah, well, because Headbangers Ball would actually end up running quite a bit longer at one point, but we'll, we'll get into that a little later here. Right. So another quote that I really liked that I, I read uh, was from a guy named Lee Masters. He was the executive uh, vice president and GM at MTV from 1986 to 1990. Metal was always divisive at the network. Young men watched MTV the most, so if we played more hair metal, we'd get higher ratings. But that round counter to the cool, cutting-edge image we were presenting. Judy McGrath and the on-air promotion people were creating a f- fabulous promos, talking about how hip and edgy we were, and then we'd play White Lion. <laughs> 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 so it was like totally counter to what they were promoting. It was ridiculous, because they knew it would sell, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like the stuff that was popular was like not the stuff they were trying to promote. It's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, like mis- it's, mismanagement. Well, it's, I mean, still to this day, for some reason metal still doesn't really get any airplay i mean with the internet it's a lot different right but as far as mainstream rock radio you still don't really see it yeah no i i kind of my station notwithstanding because i'm a classic rock radio dj and like we have the occasional metallica song but that kind of boils down to like enter sandman which is kind of weird to play but uh yeah. some of the like the harder stations you might hear like once in a while like some stone sour or some deeper metallica or some newer yeah. stuff but yeah, they, they they never really like dive too far into it. That's for what reason. as heavy as they get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe once I heard a Slipknot song, but it was one of the yeah. newer ones that's more radio friendly. Yeah, it's probably a mistake too. <laughs> or somebody, <laughs> or somebody they, slipped, slipped it in under the radio or something. You know? Yeah, I got halfway through, they noticed, and they just let it finish off. Yeah. So the the show was sometimes hosted by other hard rock metal stars, such as uh, Vinnie Vincent and Dana Strum from Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Paul Stanley from Kiss hosted a show from his apartment, uh, and Bruce Dickinson oh. from Iron Maiden did a he did a uh, hosted a show and did a fencing demo. <laughs> <laughs> like like the sport? Yeah, yeah, like like sword fighting fencing. <laughs> so uh, huh, all right. Sometimes uh, even the first episode actually, D. Snyder would do the show from his gym, like with people working out, which was to me pretty cool. And I mean, it kind of goes along with our workout playlist, sort of. Well, like uh, he just has like right? the people behind him working out while he's he's like in the machine. He's like in the machines doing interviews and stuff. And there's like people like, lifting weights and doing cables. Like, like but stuff why? Because like it's awesome, man. Heavy metal. Like, yeah. So one of the one of his quotes <laughs> to to answer your question, one of his quotes was, "When I'm listening to heavy metal, I like to lift heavy metal." <laughs> uh, hey, man. Fair enough. <laughs> I love that quote. One of the one of the segments, he it shows him like it, it cuts from the video to D. Snyder, and he's like doing a pull up. 
And it, he's like counting 999, 1,000. Oh, <laughs> it's, oh, it's awesome. It's just so cheesy, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Heavy Metal Mania was getting really good ratings, and but uh, Dee Snedder was doing it for free at the time. And after a while, he felt that he should get paid, and MTV wasn't willing to pay him, so he left. Oh, wow. So, okay, so just show. more mismanagement. I can't. He was doing it for free. What yeah, because like a two-hour show. He was doing it for free and uh, at the start, and it was getting. Like, he knew it would be popular, and it was popular. It, it really seems like MTV at the time really didn't have any respect for heavy metal, which yeah, no kind of shows through in a, a bunch of places. But they they know what makes them money, and it, there's always fans for it in a, in a viewership. But for some reason, never got respect, you know. So heavy metal mania proved that there was this dedicated fan base for heavy metal and for a, like a video show on their channel. Yeah. And so by 1987, MTV introduced Headbangers Ball to replace it, and they expanded the format and added more interviews. Okay, so who who hosted Headbangers Ball? Uh, well, there was there was a bunch of hosts. The, the first episode was actually co-hosted by uh, Lemmy and Phil from Motorhead, and um, it, sh- it started out as a 90-minute program, so an hour and a half, and it was also originally hosted by different uh, VJs from MTV. So it was a guy named Smash, uh, Kevin Seal. A girl named Downtown Julie Brown, and then a guy named Adam Curry did it for a year or two, until they ended up settling on a guy named Ricky Rackman for probably he did like the last five years I think. So he was okay, he's so the they, most host. They did not have a lot of consistency then, mm. like with the host. Not the first couple years. Like Adam Curry was there for a while, and then uh, Ricky Rackman was like the guy who was most recognizable as the host of Headbangers Ball. He was like right. so he was there. Five years till till they canceled the show, and uh, Ricky, he wasn't one of the VJs, but he owned a nightclub called the Cat House, where a lot of the bands actually played. So he knew a lot of the guys, so that's how he was kind of tied into the scene. And uh, Curry was actually the full time host for a bit, but he wasn't really a metal guy. Like he tried to play the part. So according to a guy named Tony DeSanto, who worked with Adam on his other show on MTV, Curry would wear a blazer for a show full tilt, and then change into a leather motorcycle jacket when it was time to do Headbangers Ball. <laughs> it was just like a bit of a poser, right? But I mean, he really enjoyed doing it. But yeah, he, he definitely wasn't like, like an actual metal guy. I kind of, I kind of respect it, <laughs> like putting that on and just thinking, probably good. Yeah, he seemed to enjoy doing the show. And uh, yeah. so, uh, uh, Ricky Rackman was at the time pretty good friends with Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses, and this is back in like late '80s. Like Guns N' Roses was huge, right? Yeah. So Axel actually called MTV for Ricky and then went with Ricky to his VJ audition. And uh, Rackman's pretty sure he wouldn't have even gotten the job without Axel being there. And then Curry was also like really upset about Rackman taking his job. And he was pissed off about you know, Rackman showing up with pretty much when Rackman <laughs> showed up with Axel. He was like, yeah, he's going to get the job. <laughs> with, yeah, with like this massive celebrity. With like inarguably the biggest, one of the biggest rock stars at the time, right? Uh, and well, maybe not exactly still but still a massive name so yeah well at the time he was like one of the biggest right this is right yeah. after right after oh, that type of been, been out for a while, little while here and right. they're huge so headbangers ball was on the air like right at the peak of heavy metals heyday in the late 80s so it, primarily it was showcasing mainstream hair metal which was really big at the time but it also gave airtime to heavier music right and uh the show at one point was increased to three hours for a little while Okay. So, well, uh, one, so like it was, uh, it's like it did well. Yeah, it was it was really it was really popular for a while. It was one of their like flagship shows for a bit. And uh, one one thing that people can check out is a documentary called Headbangers Ball Uncensored, which I got a lot of stories from. 
and it's available on YouTube and it's a really good watch. It's like 45 minutes long. So I definitely recommend people check that out. It's got some cool okay. stuff on it. Cool. So some stories from Headbangers Ball and their run. So in 1987, October, Guns N' Roses was on the show for the first time. And this is like right when they're getting starting to get big. And the set was being demolished the next day. So one of the producers gave them the, the thumbs up to just trash the set. So they finished their interview and then they just like trashed everything, like ripped everything down, <laughs> threw everything around. It was, there's a video of it on, on uh, YouTube as well. It's pretty crazy. They videotaped them destroying it? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, Marilyn Manson was on the show. And when they had Marilyn Manson on there, they showed an old clip of him on the show like years previous. And a show, it was a segment called Hanging with MTV. But it was him not as Marilyn Manson. He was just like no makeup. He was just like a regular guy. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> just and, a normal dude. Yeah, Manson makes like he's just like, yeah, I'm just here with my band. It's, it's pretty pretty funny. He looks so much different than he. Yeah, like, well, he's, he's in a couple episodes of Sons of Anarchy. He doesn't have <laughs> eyebrows in that, which I'm not sure if he normally has eyebrows. But it, I didn't recognize him at first. I was like, yeah, this guy's kind of a good actor. And I looked it up. Marilyn Manson, what the? Yeah. He, yeah, does, I, he does not look... <laughs> the same without makeup well if you see him and hanging with mtv he looks like just like a normal dude with long hair like just a kid like it's it's crazy he looks really looks like a normal guy yeah yeah uh kurt cobain was on the show one time and he uh he came out in the show with like this big yellow ball gown on and like ricky totally <laughs> didn't get it it was like pretty dry humor right but yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah ricky just totally didn't get the joke it was pretty funny just like kurt cobain messing with him yeah uh, well just headbangers ball right comes out with a ball yeah. gown on yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm an idiot. Like, I didn't yeah. get it. <laughs> like, uh, cool. Oh, yeah. It's just Kurt Cobain messing with him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ozzy actually introduced his new guitarist at the time on Headbangers Ball, Zach Wild, who obviously everybody knows who, like, rock fans know who Zach Wild is now. But uh, yeah, uh, that was replacing Randy Rhodes. No, no. Randy Rhodes died, and they had uh, Jakey e. Lee was his guitarist for a while. And, okay. Okay. Well, when we do an Ozzy show, we'll uh, we'll talk more about that. But. Right. Zach Wilde's what pretty was, much. Yeah, what was Zach Wilde's band again? Uh, Black Label Society. Right, Black Label Society. Okay, yeah. so. But but his like he got big as Ozzy's guitarist. This is back. Yeah, in, yeah. Quite a while ago. Uh, another segment they had Rob Zombie on, and he was apparently known for being quick at his artwork. Right. And he purposely took like four months to paint this little collage on set. <laughs> like purposely took like painfully long to do it. So Just, he kept coming on to do it. Yeah, yeah, four months took them. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what I'm gathering from this is they're like there weren't a lot of rules. No, well, I mean it's, they're rock stars, right? They're, they got to project this image, but yeah, yeah, it's just pretty cool how many uh, how many big names were on the show because it was really a big deal at the time. Well, not not only on it, but like interacting with it and doing things on it. Like clearly they were like, yeah, this is fun. I'm happy to be here. Quite the quite the variety in things that people did. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I missed a lot of Headbangers Ball. Like I, I only found out about it later on, I'm, so I'm really going back and checking it out way after the fact. But it looks like they right. uh, had a lot of fun, a lot of interesting stories, a lot of characters on there. So, well, it's 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 funny that like they were bold enough to let these guys do all of this this crazy stuff. I don't know if this is just like the personality of MTV at the time, but after it like struggled to get it going and they didn't settle on a format right away. Yeah, probably just trying to keep things fresh, right? Keep things interesting. Yeah. Do different things. Uh, Ricky used to have, uh, he did some shows at his house. He'd have like barbecues and have a bunch of musicians and bands and they all come. And uh, I believe they actually did some shows. Uh, the setting was actually at the barbecue at his house. And uh, the, one of the stories was uh, Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray was at some of these barbecues. And back then the band wasn't even called Sugar Ray. They were still called uh, the Shrinky Dinks. 
before they were forced <laughs> to change their name. And uh, Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard tells a story about how he tried to throw McGrath in the pool, but McGrath didn't want to ruin his hair, so he was like fighting against him, and he had him like, body slam really hard in the concrete. <laughs> and then, yeah, Seinfeld said he like he every time he saw him, he bitched bitched to him about getting slammed in the concrete. Ricky's <laughs> house. Oh, stop being such a wuss about your hair. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Man, he has a pretty sweet hair, though, so I, I kind of understand. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that was that was his image, right? <laughs> the, they used to have some crazy contests, too, on the show. Uh, one of the contests, a fan won something for Anthrax to come to her house and hang out. So Anthrax came to her house, and I guess they were expected to live up to this image, so they ended up like, totally trashing her house. <laughs> and they were, there was one point where they had this big like two-man like saw for sawing trees or lumber or whatever, and they are like, sawing yeah. her house. <laughs> <laughs> And the guy, like the guy from Ant, I think it was Scott Ian, was saying like they didn't even care. Like they could have burned the house down, they wouldn't have even cared. <laughs> they, <laughs> they just, so they just got just lost in the moment that they were doing that. Yeah, they, they showed the girl whose house it was, and she was just so happy that Anthrax was there. Yeah, <laughs> so cutting open her house with a saw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's on that documentary. It just shows them actually like, sawing right. into the outside of the house. So uh, when Ricky first started out in the show, he had this like long like puffy hair or whatever, which was kind of the style at the time, I guess in the late eighties and stuff. But finally, when the show started to sort of transition, like uh, with the rise of grunge in the nineties, uh, they started putting more like grunge, alternative rock videos and punk videos and stuff in, in headbangers ball. And at one point, Ricky finally decided to cut his hair and he uh, asked for the Charlie Benante haircut. <laughs> the uh, drummer from Anthrax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was kind of like, the start of the end for Headbangers Ball because grunge sort of killed off metal in the mainstream at the time back in the mid '90s because like hair metal was just huge you know mid '80s late '80s and then uh, sort of die off kind of yeah. and uh, even uh, Rockman started to have you know low opinions of some of the videos that they were playing and uh, the show was even the quality just started to to drop a little bit yeah there was I guess there was fan letters that would come in like Ricky would get fan letters and they would be fans like saying like you guys shouldn't play this video it's not very good and he would actually agree with some of them like we shouldn't play this video it's not very good it sucks and at one point he he replied to a fan letter saying like i agree with you i don't like this video sucks we shouldn't play it and then he didn't write the address properly and the the letter came back to mtv and somebody higher up did <laughs> <read> it <laughs> and i uh, wasn't too happy about it yeah so that's that was, not, uh, not a not a great look for your bosses yeah, so that was another thing that was, you know, leading up to the cancellation of the show. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, you can see the disconnect. Like, he cared about the show, he cared about the quality, and then they just were, obviously, they're ignoring him if he agrees. Yeah, and I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the guy who programmed what videos they were going to play, right? That wasn't really up yeah. to him. But yeah. he, he, because he was the, the face of the show, he would get blamed for stuff that people thought shouldn't be on there, right? Yeah. So, but by the end, this is, so the, the cancel the show in 1995, and at the end, uh, they... They did they did a best of for two weeks and then uh, they just told Ricky they'd do a best of and then the show would be done and he never got to do a final show to really like say yeah. goodbye, so they just kind of unceremoniously canceled it, which is unfortunate because it was so huge for so long and so many you know metal and hard rock fans that was their Saturday night right hang out have yeah. beer watch that band ball check out the new videos, disrespectful a bit after a mm. sounds like a pretty good and long run but. Uh... Yeah, they, yeah they, I mean, that's how people are, I guess. They're <laughs> like executives. So after Headbangers Ball got canceled, MTV tried out a show called Super Rock. It was hosted by some some girl. That, I think she was she was a nanny for Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love at one point, but in some kind of band manager. 
but uh, it lasted like one or two episodes. It wasn't very good about it. Yeah, I'm like just based on the name Super Rock. Yeah, and even <laughs> what I saw <laughs> from, uh, the intro for Super Rock was so lame. Like I just, I don't know. Like I would never watch it personally as a metal fan. Well, just the name wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't get me in. It just sounds like somebody who has no idea what the fans want is trying to put out what they think is going to sell. You know, it's just yeah, like a kind of like a corporate version of what Headbangers Ball. Yeah, was. exactly. So the the show would return in two thousand three on MTV two, and it was hosted by Jamie Jasta from Hatebreed, and it ran until two thousand seven, and then it became a block of videos with no more in studio segments or interviews, and then as of two thousand eleven. It went to an internet-only show on MTV2's website, and it was hosted by a guy named Jose uh, Mangan. I don't know if I pronounced that properly. Uh, there was also a version of Headbangers Ball on MTV Europe that ran from 1990 to 1997, too. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so that's that's the history there. Um, all right. Definitely, uh, it, it's kind of hard to find all the full episodes, but you can definitely find some episodes on YouTube. And if you know if you go on the internet, you can find. Here and there, you'll find some full episodes of Heavy Metal Mania and Headbangers Ball if you look hard enough. Yeah. So, yeah. Into the workout playlist now. Uh, yeah, all right. So if that's it, actually, before we go into the workout playlist, what was the name of the documentary one more time? Uh, Headbangers Ball Uncensored. Cool. Okay. All right. Yeah, so check that out if you want to know more about this. All right. Workout playlist section. I ain't got time to bleed. This is the chopper! Let's put a smile on that face. I've taken the wrong week to quit drinking. What do you got? So, uh, so we have to remember this is about the video, right? So we'll name the song. We'll do a bit of a thing on the song, but it's going to be mostly about the video related to that song. Okay. So the first song is a song called Mother by Danzig. So anybody okay. who knows who Glenn Danzig is, he was the lead singer for the Misfits. And then he had a band called uh, Sewin in the mid-80s before he changed the members and became Danzig. So originally the song Mother was released on their self-titled album in 1988. It's like a pretty dark brooding song, which a lot of his music is. And the video's shot entirely in black and white. And this song was his biggest hit like of his career pretty much, at least like Danzig's career. And yeah. uh, the original version of the video actually had to be edited for MTV because there was a scene at the end of the video where he kills a chicken over this girl and like drips blood in her stomach and then she draws an upside down cross in the blood. So <laughs> just, just a little bit too much for MTV. Yeah, it's it's all fake. Like if, if, yeah. I read an interview of him at the time and it was all fake. Like the it was actually chocolate syrup and right. he didn't actually harm any animals. So just so people know, yeah. okay, doesn't. Yeah, he was. It was it was all for the video, but. Right. Apparently, the original version was actually on on air on MTV for a whole weekend before they finally freaked out and pulled it. <laughs> and uh, oh they that stuff out of it. It's like uh, we had the un the uncensored version of Creep by Radiohead playing on the radio for a little bit where I work. So it was like a couple, probably a couple months of they would get to the part where it, where it says like you're so fucking precious or something like that. But they had the yeah. F word in there, and then <laughs> at some point they're like, oh shit, we need to. Take this version of did anybody play quite it no one complained i don't really think that anybody cares and uh yeah uh that if it's not like actively like malicious i don't think you can really get in a lot of trouble yeah. if it's an accident uh, i'm gonna give uh mother danzig a quick listen although i do know the song but i want to check yeah. out the the video here so check this out Mama! 
she like tastes the blood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, I understand why they. I understand why they got rid of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So especially at the time, right? It was a, a little bit much. Yeah, yeah. Good song though. Awesome song. Great song. Yeah. All right. What's next? So I, I mean, full disclaimer. I'm I'm picking. All, all of these might not necessarily be the biggest videos for Headbangers Ball. These are songs that I personally like that have like pretty cool videos. So right. Uh, number two is a song called "You Can't Bring Me Down" by a band called Suicidal Tendencies. So okay. this song was released on their album "Lights, Camera, Revolution" in 1990. So the song starts out with a slow guitar solo, the shot of a bunch of kids on a chain link fence, and then the guitarist Rocky George he starts just shredding, and then it breaks into like a pretty wicked thrash song. And the singer Mike Weir is just jumping around like a freaking madman. And uh, by the end of the video, he's getting strapped into an electric chair. And then there's a shot of the U.S. Constitution going up in flames behind him. Uh, so obviously, there's like <laughs> so some kind of game against the censorship so and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so kind of fun fact: uh, Metallica's bassist Robert Trio was actually the bassist for Suicidal Tendencies back then. Oh so no he's way! In, he's in the video. Suicide tendencies. Huh. Yeah, he's super wow. young in that video too. If you watch it. Yeah. So as I was gonna say, he's still like he's got to be at least like ten years younger than the guys in Metallica. So. Yeah, yeah, but he was like super young back then. He probably like in his early mid twenties. Yeah. Uh, this uh, is kind of for anybody who doesn't know Suicide tendencies. They were more of a punk band back in the eighties, and then uh, at this point they were sort of transitioning to more of a thrash sound than punk. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna give this a shot. Uh, plus the video here. good build up i like that oh yeah man. It's a wicked the, song. The, uh, the, the the video is so over the top i love it yeah and rocky george is a phenomenal guitarist man like that guy can mm. shred oh yeah well, like the first like it's like the whole first minute is just guitar solo and it's awesome yeah. all right number three uh a song called i want to rock by twisted sister probably oh yeah okay it. yeah classic so the the video they put out before that we're not going to take it. Had uh, Mark Metcalf in it, the guy who played Niedermeyer in Animal House. Okay. He was playing, he's the one guy who played the dad, and we're not going to take it. Mm -hmm. So they brought him in again for this video. So he played he played the teacher, and he was trying to like stop the students from rocking out in school, right? And right, just, you know, running around trying to foil their stuff, and keep, you know, his his head goes through the ceiling, and he like falls off a bridge, kind of thing. Like it lands in like cement. They even brought in the guy, this guy named Steven Durst. He's he played Flounder in Animal House, and he was in there for a cameo as well. So, okay. accor according to Dee Snyder, the lead singer of Twisted Sister, uh, Metcalf showed up all coked up and grouchy for the takes, and uh, he was he was he screwed up a take, and the director Marty Colner called him out on it, and he got all pissed off, and Marty Colner like told him, "Well, you want to go outside?" <laughs> and I apparently Colner's like pretty tough dude, and Metcalf yeah. backed down. So. Pretty much right after backing down from being called out, uh, Metcalf did that scene where he's like yelling at the kid, spitting in his face. So he legitimately was like all worked up and upset when he saw, shot that scene. And it's, <laughs> the kid, this kid actor had to bear the brunt of it. Yeah, and it's a pretty iconic scene because it's just he, you can just see the spit flying out of his mouth while he's yelling at this kid, and it's like, totally natural because he was like out of his head at the time, I guess. 
That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, I mean, I know the song and I'm familiar with the video, but I'm going to give it a, give her a go here. Yeah, give her a rip. I want you to tell me. No, better yet, stand up and tell the class. What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. Oh my god! But you just see the oh yeah, he looks he looks middle. choked out. Oh yeah, <laughs> you can see it in his eyes. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean that that the song and the the video always holds up. That's a beauty. That's terrific. All right, number four. All right, the band is Slayer, and the video is Seasons in the Abyss. It's okay, a, it's a great mid-tempo thrash song from one of Slayer's best albums, in my opinion. Seasons in the Abyss. It's a title track. Ah, uh, the titular track, as they say. Uh, yes, they would say. Well, you would say anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's got pretty bleak lyrics about spiraling into insanity. Uh, the usual Kerry King, Jeff Hanneman soloing, and uh, some amazing drumming from Dave Lombardo. Uh, Slayer actually filmed this video in Egypt, shooting in front of the Sphinx and the pyramids. And, oh, wow. Uh, and like a crypt and stuff. It's pretty cool. You it's allowed not, to do like, that? Yeah. Well, I, I, it's, yeah, it's not green screen. They, uh, they, uh, they actually went to Egypt. Wow. They, they uh, shot this right before Operation Desert Shield, and the U.S. soldiers that they talked to while they were there mentioned that they're also preparing for the invasion of Iraq and what would become Desert Storm. Oh, wow. As far as them being allowed to film there, Kerry King actually recalled trading porn and cigarettes to bribe Egyptian officials so that they could get the rights to film around the things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, now it lines up. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense now. All right. <laughs> All right, man. So uh, right. Yeah, give, it, give it a listen. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll check this out. Seasons in the Abyss. It's just these really dramatic shots of, for one, just citizens like hanging out in the city, but they like tilt the camera and crap to like make it look all dramatic and like yeah. it's just a dude sitting on the ground. Hey man, uh, that's awesome. Artistic license or whatever they call it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. No, that's but awesome. I, yeah, the cool thing is that they actually went to film this, which is uh, yeah, it's, it's actually it's like some really cool shots, like camels in the sunset and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, number five is uh, Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue. I'm sure right. you've heard it. So classic Motley Crue ballad. Any most rock fan, I guess, would, would have heard this. So the video starts off with all the band members and their respective situations, whatever. They're getting phone calls to come home. It shows like Vince Neil's on a beach. Uh, Mick Mars is like at his weird house with strange people, like he probably would be. <laughs> uh, Nicky Six at a bar and Tommy Lee's at like some party on like a tour bus. And uh, so they all get this call to come home. And then uh, the rest of the video shows a bunch of live footage of the band playing the song. Um, this video was the longest running uh, number one video on a program called Dial MTV. It's a program that will play the most requested five or ten videos of the day. And uh, I guess five or ten, depending on, like, they, they changed the format at some point, I guess. But uh, Home Sweet Home was number one for over 90 days in 1986. Oh, and, wow. Uh, I guess they had to change the rules to get it off because it, like, I love that. That's that's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I am familiar with the song, but again, I, I haven't actually seen a lot of these videos, so I'll check out this video. Oh. 
Sitting on a woman? Uh, oh my god! Yeah, no, he's. Who did you say was in the? Was in his weird house? He's, oh, Mick Mars. Mick Mars is sitting on a woman. Okay, well, yeah, that's. If I know one about Molly Cruz, I know video. Mick Mars is a weird dude. Yeah, uh, at least I think he's just sitting on her. I'm not gonna <laughs> read too close into that. Uh, still Honestly, awesome it was, song. If, like, if it was one of the other three, he'd probably be doing something else. If it's Mick, he's probably just sitting on her. He's probably just, yeah. He'll he'll stop there. <laughs> it's it's awesome video. Honestly, by that point, I think he was already like forty five years old. So <laughs> <laughs> he's past that point. Yeah, <laughs> he's giving her life advice while he's sitting on her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, song number six. All right, number six. Song called In- "Indians" by Anthrax. All right. So it's a great single off arguably Anthrax's best album called "Among the Living." So it's a thrash song about the plight of the American Indian. So uh, the vi- video is just a bunch of live footage from Anthrax shows, which the reason I'm putting it in here is because you watch that, vi- that video and their shows just look like so much fun. Like the bands running around having fun, the crowds have so much fun. And right. I can actually attest to this because I've seen Anthrax live twice. The first time I don't really remember for <laughs> certain reasons. But which the, means uh, it was a good show. Yeah, and I know it was in the mosh pit, and I know the next day I was really hurting. But uh, the uh, the second time I saw them, I remember it, and it was amazing. Like they put on such a like high energy, fun show, and they play like all the songs everyone wants to hear. And uh, so it's definitely true true to to life, really. That and I mean, I, I like the message of the song, I'm talking about like the, the the shitty situation that <laughs> the uh, American Indians are in. At one point, the uh, singer Joy Belladonna runs around with a headdress on. I'm not really sure how that would stand up these days in the you know, <laughs> current climate, but uh, like obviously he's doing yeah. it for a reason. If this song is about the hardships that they went through, so yeah, for sure. I mean, their yeah. their message is is good. Like uh, you know, mm-hmm. even if even if the delivery is a little bit off, the uh, the intention is there, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But Definitely. yeah, like you watch that video and like the mosh pits and the stage diving is just awesome, yeah. man. Like everyone looks like they're having a great time. Yeah. Check it out. All right, yeah, Anthrax Indians give us a shot. Oh yeah, it looks awesome. <laughs> like how much? It's not even like, it? it's not really like some extravagant light show. Like they have some lights and stuff. It's really just their stage presence. But it's like every single one of them is into it. Yeah, for sure, man. They all look like they're just having a ball. You know? Yeah, you've that, you've been to a lot more concerts than I have, but I've been to like quite a few concerts. Like sometimes mm-hmm. bands just don't have the stage presence that you're looking yeah. for. Well, you can look how like Joy Belladonna, the singer. You see how he's engaging with the crowd, and then yeah. like, Scott Ian's running around like crazy. He's a rhythm guitarist, so he doesn't have to worry about solos, right? So he just runs around, and jumps around everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's like a, a few guys I can think of that were like that willing to get into the crowd. Uh, Eddie Vedder is one of them. Eddie yeah. Vedder will get yeah. right in there. He used to like climb up like parts of the the stage and like 
drop down into the crowd and stuff, didn't he? Yeah, like, he was, so he's crazy. He's a little too old to do that now, but he'll still like like get in there. I saw him at a festival and he yeah. he does that. Few and far between. It's the whole band is in this one. Yeah, right. for sure. Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. Awesome number song seven? too. Yeah, number seven. Right. Let's do it. Uh, number seven is "I Want to Be Somebody" by a band called Wasp. So uh, they're considered shock rock. So in the '80s, they're pretty much the shock rock masters at the time. Like the stuff they do on stage was pretty obscene. So uh, great anthemic '80s metal song, though. If you listen to it, it's a uh, pretty standard. It, it almost sounds like a hair metal song, but it's a little bit, probably a little bit edgier. But right. the, uh, the video starts out with these skeletal hands cutting open a chain set of doors, like super <laughs> '80s with a grinder. And then uh, the doors open and it kicks into the band on this fog covered stage. And uh, Blackie Laws, who's like the singer bassist, he's got these uh, black leather armbands with like saw blades attached to them. Right. And uh, guitarist Chris Holmes, he was, apparently was quite the madman at the time. Like he was kind of a mess. But uh, it shows him like playing guitar and he like crushes a beer like all over his face and then throws the can and like just keeps playing guitar. <laughs> and uh, near the end okay. of the video, uh, Lawless takes a torch and lights up the wasp sign behind the stage like in flames, whatever. And then has this skull and he holds it over his head and like pours blood into his mouth from the skull. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to be looking, <laughs> looking at this right now then uh, wasp. I want to be somebody. Super, super 80s with all the lights and fog and everything. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. I like it. But it's like a, right. <laughs> a really catchy song, too. Yeah, no, it's a great song. It's just funny. It's just, uh, I, I love the, the theatrics so much. Like in all yeah. of these videos, too. A Wasp was known, at, especially at the time, Wasp was really well known as, as a shock rock band for their, their, their props and their stage show. It's like Alice Cooper on meth. Yeah, and, yeah, like <laughs> just a, a step further. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> was that uh was that song seven is there one more uh there's one more okay the uh the last song we're gonna do number eight is uh, the song one by metallica so right. okay another just classic song. yeah classic yeah. song so uh, this is their third single off the album injustice for all and it was actually metallica's first music video that they made so the song is about a soldier that was so badly wounded that he's unable to hear speak or see and um, they use scenes from a movie called johnny got his gun through the video and uh, there's also scenes of the band's members playing. And uh, the band actually ended up buying the rights to the movie because they kept paying royalties for it. So, <laughs> the middleman, I guess. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah. I can't imagine that movie costs very much because it's just some, uh, is it not just some like random, like obscure movie that they found? Yeah, it's from like what, the early 70s or whatever. And I mean, who would have, I wouldn't have heard of it if it wasn't for that video personally. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, at that at that point, Metallica obviously had the money to to do that, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> like right on the heels of, of Master of Puppets. Yeah. So the song starts with slow, but uh, builds into a faster, heavier thrash song that would uh, it would end up cracking the top forty in the U.S. The video would actually reach number one on MTV. And, number one. Wow. Yeah, and would end up winning their they would end up winning their first Grammy for best metal performance in uh, nineteen ninety for the song. Wow. All right, Metallica won. I'm gonna. I, I do know the song in the video, but let's give this a listen. Now that the war is through with me, I'm waking up. I can. 
And I do, oh man, I love that video. I remember we had something on VHS. It was an old Metallica collection called uh, Binge and Purge. Live shit. Live yeah, shit. Rob, Rob had that. Yeah, our, yeah, our other brother, uh, Rob, had it. And I watched it like a bunch of times just on like this VHS set that we had. And um, they went over the whole like video and everything. So uh, this music video is just awesome. Excellent song to end on because that would so, be probably one of my favorite music videos. I'm not going to talk about them at length, but a couple of quick honorable mentions, just uh, the, for the sake of history. The first video <laughs> that was played on Heavy Metal Mania was ACDC for those about to rock. Amazing okay. song. Uh, and the first video played on Headbangers Ball was a song by Cinderella called "Somebody Save Me," another great song. So just wanted to throw that out there. Cool. All right. A couple honorable mentions. Yeah. Uh, so is that is that it? That is it. All right. So that is uh, that is Headbangers Ball. And uh, that is going to do it for this episode of The Heavy. See the show notes for a complete list of songs that you heard in this episode. If we forgot to mention anything, uh, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, tell a friend. Leave us a star rating, please. (laughs) Our show is edited by Ian Sutherland with Andrew doing all of our research. Our brother Rob designed our logo. Our theme song is Stallions of the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you again in two weeks. Later.